Welcome to the Dr. Bud Gill Podcast. I, uh, I'm super excited to have my buddy, Dr. Ian Smith, back for a second round. Uh, this is my first, you're my first guest, man. That's been back twice. I'm super excited oh, to have you. I'm honored. And the reason, why, the reason why I have you back, man, is because you're, I mean, gosh, I didn't realize how prolific of an author you were. Um, so Ian's written 20 books. I think he's written, released two books this year alone. Um, he's a, you know, he's everywhere. You know, you see him with the doctors. He's been on Rachel Ray. Good morning, America. You know, he started out in New York. I, I knew him from NBC way back in the day. I mean, he's just, he's an OG. He's an OG doctor. Uh, he's, he's an OG TV doctor. He's a real deal. And uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. We're really going to focus on, on your book, your book that just came out, uh, Fast Burn, which is already a New York Times bestseller. I think it hit the bestseller list within like a week of coming out, which is like ridiculous. It did. Um, thank you. It's amazing, man. So congratulations on that, man. I appreciate you. And um, yeah, man. So thank you. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's my 20th book. And wow. It's like I can remember the first one like it was yesterday. I swear to you. Um, People say, how do you do write 20 books? You know, I love to write and uh, I'm a very disciplined person. Uh, I compartmentalize very well. And so when I'm in, when I'm in focus, I'm in focus. And so I can be extremely prolific. And as you know, I do mysteries now um, and I do my health and wellness. Uh, I've always had the attitude um, that you just try to do what appeals to you and you don't worry about succeeding or failing. Uh, you do it because it's something you like to do. So there are plenty of things I don't do well, but it doesn't, the fear of not doing well is not paralyzing to me. It's inspirational to me. And so, you know, Fast Burn, this book is a nine week plan. It's very different than my other books. Every week on the plan is different. I tested about 2000 people in my Facebook group, uh, 15 to 17 pounds lost in nine weeks. Uh, it's fun. It's affordable. The food is all affordable. It's easy. It's straightforward. Everything is laid out for you. Meals, snacks, there are options. Some people are vegans, vegetarians, pescatarians, carnivores. It doesn't matter. You can do the program because I give you all these different options. And also, you know, I think that people think about healthy food and they think that there's no taste. And so I make sure that all the recipes in the book, everything from the tender baked pork chops to grandma's pancakes to the steak, I make sure that it's tasty. It's got to be tasty. It can't taste like cardboard. So, you know, I, I always, and I know you do this too. I always think about the vantage point of the user, of the reader. And so, yeah, you can have some pasta. Yeah, you can have some bread. Yeah, there's some alcohol because what good is a program if people can't stick to it? Yeah, it's got to be sustainable, man. I mean, that's the, that's the whole deal. You know, it's interesting. I'm actually obsessed with intermittent fasting. I've been intermittent fasting since 2012 when I started wow. my I had a major fitness transformation. Intermittent fasting was a big part of it for me. Um, and, you know, so that's why, you know, this book is just very, very pertinent for me, too. Like, I just I'm really want to dive into to your philosophy because this is intermittent fasting, but it's a little bit of a different take on intermittent fasting. So I know for me, when I was starting out, I really was very hardcore about tracking my macros. You know, I needed to get 200 grams of protein, 100 grams of healthy fats, and like 250 grams of carbs. Days I worked out, I had more carbs. Days I didn't work out, I had less carbs. I would weigh all my food. I was maniacal about it. I'm not like that now because um, I can kind of eyeball it. I've been doing it for so long. Um, so I know this is like a nine-week plan. You basically have like three parts of it. You basically ignite your system for four weeks. You essentially take a break for a week and then you accelerate during the last four weeks, kind of like you're sprinting to the finish line. Um, how is this different than, you know, sort of everyone is intermittent fasting is everywhere now, right? So yeah. all over Instagram, intermittent fasting, and you know, 
everyone's talking about it. Although, like I said, I've been doing it for almost a decade. It's been around for a long time. I always almost like a secret for a lot of mm -hmm. folks. Yeah. Um, but talk to me a little bit about how this is, this is different. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So there, as you know, and you, you're more of an expert than I am. You've been doing it longer than me, but you know, there are different types of intermittent fasting. There's just not one type of intermittent fasting. And in the book, I talk about three of the most popular types. One is time restricted feeding. The other is the five, two method. And lastly, the alternate fasting day method. Now, the time restricted feeding, I think is what most people know about, right? That's where you take your 24 hours of a day, you divide it up into a feeding window and a fasting window. You're gonna eat all your meals and snacks of the day in your feeding window. And then you're gonna have your fast. And during your fast and my program, you're allowed to have beverages as much as you want, but you cannot have more than 50 calories worth. So you can have as much water as you want. You could have some coffee, some tea, but you can only have a total of 50 calories. So you wanna go obviously with, with liquids that don't have calories. Um, and that's basically time-restricted feeding. I mean, you just keep going over and over and over again. Obviously, the longer your fast, uh, the more productive uh, it tends to be for weight loss and for fat reduction. And I wanna get your take on that in a second. Uh, and the other method is the 5-2 method. Five days of, I say, normal eating. That doesn't mean go out and eat 10,000 calories, but five days of pretty normal eating, two days of 500 calories or less. Make sure those two days are not consecutive. You want to break them up. And then lastly is the um, alternate day fasting. A regular day of eating, 24 hours of fast. Regular. So, you know, I employ the first two, the five, two and time restricted feeding in fast burn because I want you to decide what works for you. Some people like one method over the other. Some people find that it's difficult based on their schedule or whatever it is not to do one or the other. So I try to make it so that you get a chance to experience both types of IF. And then when you finish with the nine week program, you kind of say, hey, you know what? TRF works for me or five, two works for me. And that's really the premise. Now, what I want to ask you is, my research and my philosophy, I mean, intermittent fasting is still, as you know, being heavily researched, but the idea behind the fast and melting fat, um, and this is how I explain it. When you are in positive energy balance, that means that you have consumed more food energy, which is calories, than you're going to expend, burn off. And so you're in a positive energy state. What does the body do with that extra energy? It's gotta do something. Newton's second law tells you that. So the body then says, hey, you know what? We gotta store it, that energy. And it stores it in the form of fat. In a negative energy state, what I do at uh, fast burn is try to flip you into that. Your body is seeing energy from food because you're eating, but it's not getting enough energy from food to meet the body's energy demands. So there's this deficit. And so your body has to go somewhere to get the energy in order for you to live and survive and do your daily functioning. And so it goes into the fat stores, it breaks down the fat, it takes that energy that was stored and it refuels it and you then use that as energy. And that typically happens during your fasting period, which is why people who fast more consistently and fast longer, they tend to melt more of their fat. And I have to tell you of all my programs, I have been most impressed by fast burn as far as how it's been able to shrink fat around, around people's waistlines which is typically, as you know, a very difficult place to happen. But in my Facebook group, the before and afters and the, the not just the pounds on the scale, but the, the drop in sizes, 
this has been amazing. Yeah, I mean, you look you look at lean lean AF as the kids say these days, right? You look good. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I mean, for me, it was a game changer. You know, but a lot of it also has to you know you can break down fat or you can break down muscle when you're fasting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important for folks to understand that you know you really need to kind of dial in your macronutrients somewhat. I only, unfortunately, I just got your book at three o'clock yesterday and I was in the South seeing patient. So I haven't had a time to really dive into it. The last time we we met, I actually read your book before we did the podcast, which was awesome. So I apologize if this is in the book, um, but I, you know, I kind of want to just pick your brain anyways. Yeah. Do you go into that? So for me personally, like I'm chasing the rock, you know, I want to be known as the doc, you know, the doc, the rock. <laughs> um, so I'm very into putting muscle on. So initially I, I really leaned out. I actually lost a lot of muscle in my initial shred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I went from 196 pounds, 21% body fat to 153 or 150 uh, 8% body fat. Looked like, oh, you look good. You lost a lot of weight. Then the same with a friend. Is he like, is he sick or something? What's wrong with this guy? And then that was like 2012, 2013. And every year since then, I've been trying to put on like five to 10 pounds or seven pounds of muscle every year. So now I'm about 196 pounds and I'm still about, you know, like 10%, nine, 10% body fat. Um, but the only way I can achieve that is by preserving my muscle when I fast. So for me, mm. it's very important to eat 200 grams of protein a day, which is very difficult to do. Um, do you talk about that? Like kind of, uh, getting your macronutrients in line. So you are a very unique case. I have to tell you, because what you're trying to do is thread the needle. And the vast majority of people are not trying to thread a needle. They're just trying to get through it and get this weight off. You are a very different case. And the reason why I don't specifically address macros in the way that would be useful to someone like you is because I feel like for most people, the ratio of the three macros is pretty much consistent. And unless they have a real distorted distribution of carbs, fat, and protein, it's pretty much, you know, it's going to meet their requirements and it's not going to do them any harm. Now, if you're someone trying to build muscle, then macros are really important to you. Not just are the macros important to you, but when you consume the macros and how you consume the macros are important. I don't get into that into fast burn because for the reader of fast burn, the everyday Joe, the everyday Betty, fast burn, they want to lose weight. They're not trying to lose weight and then you know put on lean muscle mass. Though, by the way, I think that is the best way to go, actually. I think that, you know, Really, after fast burn, I should write a sequel that talks about okay, how do you build lean muscle mass for men and women? By the way, you should call um, it so, slow slow build fast burn. Yeah, slow right. build. yeah, there you go, there you go. Slow. Yeah. I like that actually. I like that. That's a book too. But but so I don't address that particular, and I also don't get. Listen, let me tell you something. I did a show called Celebrity Fit Club many years ago, and what I learned from that show, I learned a very valuable and at the time a painful lesson. I'd written this book called The Take Control Diet. It was my second book. I thought it was wonderful. It had great medical information. What is a calorie? What is a fat? All this great nutritional science stuff. And when I was doing the show, and my job on the show was to help the celebrities lose weight, I gave them the book. It's called The Take Control Diet. It's like an encyclopedia for nutrition, basically. And about midway through the season, the celebrity says, they say to me, Dr. Ian, we love you. And we think you're smart. We think you're, you know, you have our best interests at heart and blah, blah, blah. But your book is too much. Just tell us what to eat, when to eat. We don't need all the other stuff, though it's nice. We just want to know what to eat, when to eat it. And 
while my feelings were a little hurt at the time because I thought I had produced this fantastic book and they were going, but what I learned from that lesson many years ago is that when I write my books, I always write my books through the eyes of the user. And I say all of that to say to you that discussing macros in the kind of granularity that would be of use to you would make everyone else's eyes glaze over. And yeah. so I avoid, and I find those conversations interesting, by the way, and I love those conversations, but in the book, I really, pun intended, cut the fat out. Right. This is the premise of the book. This is why it works. This is what you need to do. Here are your snacks. Here are the great recipe chapter, all these recipes that you can cook, and here are your exercises you can do at home. And so I don't delve into macros like that, but that's not to say that macros are not important. So let's talk about something that is important, especially for these, you know, folks that are losing 17, 19 pounds, you know, their waists are shrinking. I mean, there's, there must, the calories must be restricted. I mean, you can only lose weight if you, if you cut down calories, talk about that. Yeah. So people, so <laughs> I never count, I never have my users count calories as far as what they're consuming in the day. And people will say to me, well, Dr. Ian, I'm on the plan. So how many calories am I taking today? Here's the answer. I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because there's so many options in the book. If you're someone who chooses steak for dinner versus someone who chooses a vegetarian platter, those calories are gonna be very different, right? And so I give people ranges. I would say on fast burn, you probably, the average person on a daily basis, depending on the day, is consuming anywhere from 1200 to 1600 calories. There are probably some days that you get up to 1800 calories, depending on what choices you make, but that is pretty much the range. And you know, when we talk about weight loss for women, we typically say anywhere from a thousand to 1200, you know, you know, not guarantees, but really is a great way to, to get weight loss for men. We say anywhere up to 14, maybe 1600, depending on how big you are, how active you are, blah, blah, blah. So um, I don't, go into exactly how many calories you're eating per day. And I also do not ask you to count that because I feel like it's too onerous. It's too difficult to count calories. How do you count calories when you go into a restaurant and you weren't in the kitchen cooking it and don't know what went into the food? But what I do do, I ask you, is I say, if you're having a protein shake, having a smoothie or having a snack, then I say to you, this many calories or less because everyone could pick up the back of a, you know, a package and say, see, that's 200 calories, 150 calories or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that's great. So to me, this book is for us almost like a novice or struggling individual who wants to like kind of either lose weight for the first time or has like failed like 10 times using different strategies. And this guy who does so many different, everyone has advice, you know, for weight loss. But you're almost guaranteeing just by choosing the meals that you, that you have in the book that you will be at a caloric deficit. You know, if you just stick to this stuff and follow these very simple guidelines, I can virtually guarantee you'll be in a caloric deficit. And if you literally just do this stuff and fast in combination with it, at the end of nine weeks, you're basically going to have success. Like you're setting folks up for success in a very, very simple way, which is obviously the goal. And then once you, I always say this, once you like a set a goal, so say someone reads this book and says, I want to lose 10 pounds in nine weeks, say they lose 15 pounds. That's the point where they'll say, you know what? Like, God, look at what I did. Like, this is crazy. I can't believe I did this. Like, I can't believe I'm capable of losing this much weight. Now, what can I do? And that's when they start digging into the more of the science and the breaking down the macronutrients and really dissecting it out. Um, and I think that's right. Sure. This is like a, 
start, get in there, lose this weight, see what you're capable of doing. Then we can talk about more sophisticated things. You are 100% correct. Is that you can't make one book be everything for everyone. Uh, and my goal for this book was to take someone who says, I want to lose weight. I want to lose it relatively quickly. I want to lose it in a healthy way. I don't want to have to sacrifice an enormous amount. And I tell me what to do. And that's what fast burn is. It's going to take you there. Now, I agree with you that for the skilled or the experienced person who has dieted or is into weight management, then you're looking for a book, like you said, that talks about macros. What's the best place to get the macros and all the things that become a higher level conversation from a nutritional standpoint, that for sure is a different book. And that's why I tell people all the time, I've written 20 books. I don't know, maybe seven of them have not been diets or something or, you know, food related. But I tell people this, I say, the reason why I've written so many books is because there is no one book for everybody. There's no one plan that works for everybody. And people have to look and shop and think before they buy a book to see if they think that they can do the plan. Does it fit my lifestyle? Does it fit my budget? Are there foods on here I know I'm gonna like and I'm willing to eat? That's important. And so, you know, there are multiple books out there in the diet arena because there's no one standard way to approach it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, man. But I do think intermittent fasting is something that is conducive to all goals, all lifestyles. I mean, it's, it's a very powerful strategy for designing your diet. It's very easy to follow and it's very, it makes a lot of sense. Um, talk to me a little bit about the workouts. So I personally, I work out fasted. Um, so I, in my fasting window, regular water, that's it. So everything's zero calories. Yeah. And I work out fasted, but I break my fast with like a protein shake. You know, that's so yeah. I end my fast. With so a you, shake. you work out at the end of your fast and then you break yeah. it. So you have recovery, right? Post-workout recovery, right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay, yeah. 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 I, I advise that I do the same thing, by the way. So um, I work, I'm an early morning riser. Been that way since the tortures of med school and sub eyes and everything. Uh, so I wake up early, no matter what. I didn't get to set an alarm clock. I'm up at five, 530. And I work out right away. Nothing to eat. You know, I work out right away. And then I break my fast also with protein. I get it from a variety of sources. I may have yogurt. I may have um, a tuna fish sandwich. You know, I, I get my pro. So that's how I break it. And, and what I tell people, for those who are novice to this concept, the idea of a fasted workout, and I'm interested in what you think about this. The idea for me of a fasted workout is think about it. You've just spent X number of hours, let's say seven hours of sleeping without any nutrition on board. You're even, but even though you're sleeping, by the way, your body is demanding and needing energy and using energy. So you pretty much will have depleted most of what you put on board the previous night by the time you wake up. And your body needs energy to get going. And so if you do your workout in a fasted state during your fasting window, you are dramatically increasing the energy demands of the body without answering it right away with calories from food. And once again, we go into the business of driving into your fat stores and keeping yourself into a fat burning mode. And so I think fasted workouts are awesome, but I always caution people, if you get lightheaded, I mean, you should drink beverages by the way, of course, but if you get lightheaded or you have underlying medical conditions, or you're really gonna do a crazy rigorous workout 
it's probably not advisable to do that in a fasted state. So people have to listen to their own body cues. Yeah, absolutely. What I, I did kind of thumb through the workout part of your book. Oh. Um, there's, pretty, there's a lot of stuff in there, actually. So the idea behind the workout is very simple. The idea is that this book is a one-stop shop. And people who either can't afford a gym, don't want to go to a gym, don't have a gym nearby, I wanted to create a chapter of exercises you can do right at home without any equipment. Uh, and so you'll see, not only do I explain it, jump lunges, for example, I show you pictures, illustrations, so you know how to do it, line hops, all these things you can do in your basement, your bedroom, lunges, outside, it doesn't matter. And so my recommendation typically is 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise for five days a week. If you want to break it up, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 at night or late afternoon, completely fine. Now, if you want to do more than that, obviously great, do more than that. But I don't want people to have the impression that they have to you know, work out for an hour and a half dripping in sweat in a gym in order you know, to lose weight. I just, that's just not the way it works. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and also you don't want to burn out, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a quick way to burn out. And I see that with a lot of folks, like they'll work out seven days a week, you know, very, it, their goals are good, but the execution, it's just too, it's, it's, it's too exhausting. It's, it's impossible to stick to it. That's it's kind it. of like what you were talking about with the diet. It's not sustainable. It has to be a diet that's sustainable, a workout regimen that's sustainable. And, and then they're not really working out because they're tired and they can't sustain it. So they're not really effective workouts, you know, take 20 yeah. minutes off and actually do an effective workout for, for that period of time. That's way more than just kind of occupying time in a gym and you're not really working out. So let's talk about you, man. What are you, what are you doing for your workouts these days? Um, yeah, so I'm doing a lot of lifting. Um, I don't know, I'm just a school lifter. I like lifting. Same. Uh, I'm not going as heavy as I used to because uh, I don't want to put all the pressure on my joints, but you know, I lift a lot. And, um, and then for my cardio, I mostly play sports. So, you know, I'm still an avid sportsman. Um, I run, I don't like running per se. It's boring to me. It just Same. never has excited me, but you know, running can be very effective. I mean, it's, you know, it's a great way to get your heart pumping, but I try to do more kind of hit exercises, more body weight exercises um, where I'm doing cardio and some resistance. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I do. And, you know, I'm always, you know, in the business of trying to build lean muscle mass, uh, you know, and uh, I, I have found over this year, because I've been home instead of traveling, I'm in a great groove. I'm, I mean, my strength is where I want it to be. My body's looking good. So I'm just staying the course right now. How about you? I lift, baby. <laughs> Pumping an iron, man. That's it. Pumping, yeah, right? I'm, I'm, I'm very attentive to my, still to my macronutrients. And um, I basically just lift. That's it. And then sometimes I'll do some like uh, sort of low intensity, steady state cardio, like just walking on an incline on a treadmill. So how long um, do you lift for? An hour, hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah, three, I do. Three, so I just had actually had a discectomy, um, laminectomy, emergently about seven weeks ago. So I couldn't work out for about six weeks, which sucked. Wow. But I'm back now. You, so what percent did you lose not working out? Uh, actually, I didn't really lose much. You know, I was really, really? nervous about it. Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of I lost my sort of my swollenness, yeah, <laughs> my yeah, pump. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but it came back pretty quick. Uh, I was oh, very yeah. so I used that time to be really attentive about my nutrition. Yeah. So I kind of low carbed it because I wasn't really working out up my protein and healthy fats. And I just really dialed in my macronutrients. Yeah, just to maintain. And, and you know, I tell people that, by the way, I'm glad you mentioned that I tell people, people in my group will say, 
well, I've had a procedure or I have physical limitations, you know, I'll have it for the next two or three weeks. What should I do? And I say, this is a time where you absolutely have to focus in on your nutrition. Like you have to really get serious about it because while you may not lose as much weight, what you can do with your nutrition is at least stop the weight gain uh, and at least keep yourself at a steady state. And by the way, people who are watching and listening, um, I have a great group. You can join us on, on uh, Facebook. It's called Fast Burn Challenge. Fast Burn Challenge. You just join the group. We got 10,000 people in the group and everyone's doing it together. We post recipes. I do live sessions in the group. It's very supportive, very positive. Um, and the community is fantastic. So join our challenge. And if you're not on Facebook, on my Instagram, I try to post you know, recipes and workouts. So that's at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. But, uh, but yeah, man, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, when people are asking, which is more important, exercise or nutrition? And, you know, I say, <laughs> yeah, it's a one-two punch. I mean, yeah. you can lose weight, by the way, just by eating better and no exercise. You can lose weight just by exercising and not eating great. But at some point, you're going to plateau. Yeah. Because one system is going to take you so far, and that's why it's a one-two punch. That's it, man. I, you know, I, there's a lot of things that I like are my mantras on my Instagram posts. Like one is we we're talking about, you know, you can dial in your nutrition when you can't work out. I'm all about no matter what, you have to get your one daily win that gets you one step closer to your goal. So if you can't work out, your nutrition better be dialed in because that's the only way you can get your win. You know, your daily win that gets you closer to your goal. Um, and uh, yeah, man. I mean, that's 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 what it's all about, man. Yeah. Aside from the book, man, I want to I want to pick your brain just about two other things, yeah. just because you are, yeah. you know, world famous doctor, man. The last time that we were, you know, chopping it up, it was in the middle of the pandemic, you know, at the mm -hmm. height of it. And, mm -hmm. you know, we were both on lockdown. Um, there was no vaccine. Um, there was talks of a vaccine at that time, but there was mm -hmm. no vaccine. Now, fast forward, you know, many months later, and you know, I assume you're vaccinated. I know you're vaccinated because it's on mm -hmm. Instagram. You know, I'm vaccinated. A lot of people, a lot of us are vaccinated, um, but a lot of people, a lot of us aren't vaccinated. And I, I think maybe a third of our population is not keen on the vaccine. Uh, I mean, that's a hundred million people. It's a big problem. It is. So it's a big problem. You, and there's a lot even that I hear from folks that are quote unquote anti-vaxxers. It's, it's a lot of misinformation that's directing them. It's a big um, problem. I got to tell you. I'm speaking as first a scientist and physician, um, and then I'm speaking just as an American. Uh, first, as a scientist, and you know this, this is basic virology. We learned this in medical school. Viruses behave a certain way, and their behavior, in most cases, is pretty predictable by scientists. And anyone who has any credibility and knowledge of how viruses work they understand that right now, this vaccine is the only way to get this thing calmed down. It's the only way. There's no medication for it that's going to be preventive. You need to have a vaccine. And it's very distressing to hear people say the most outlandish things about a vaccine. I mean, they have politicized this thing. They have turned it into a religious thing. Like, who sits home and comes up with this stuff? This is just science. It's apolitical, it's agnostic, it's just science. This is how things, you know, their genes, their chromosomes, their scientific facts. You know, the sun rises in the east, it sets in the west. That's just how it is. It's not like, oh, it's doing that because, you know. 
And so when I hear people say, I'm not getting that vaccine, or I don't know what's in that vaccine. You don't know what's in the vaccine, huh? What was in the chickenpox vaccine you took as a kid that you had to take to go to school and all those other vaccines you took? Did you know that? Did your parents know that? Of course they didn't. So I find it very humorous in a, in a satirical way that people are so analytical of a vaccine that is life-saving, yet they weren't so critical and analytical of a vaccine that would prevent you know, illnesses that were uncomfortable but weren't necessarily, you know, um, potentially life ending. And so I just, there's a whole kind of, there's a whole environment of, I don't know what it is. I don't know if people are just bored, they're frustrated, they're tired, they feed on people's fears. But the idea that here we are in the worst crisis that this world has seen in years and people are actually making up stuff and other people are believing it and promoting it and perpetuating it, uh, perpetuating it is, is so frustrating. And you know, you know as a doctor that sooner or later, if enough people are not vaccinated, that a variant is going to develop, a mutation is going to occur where the current vaccines are no longer effective and we're all going to need booster shots. You know it's coming. Yep. I mean, look at India now, you know, it's just, they, they were like the, you know, the picture of success and now it's just another mess, you know. A mess. So Everyone, re everybody relaxed real too much. Yeah. You know, it's over. It's not really over until those numbers are really, really, really low. And what's, yeah. it you know, it reminds me, I, I don't know if I said this to you before. It reminds me of, have you ever been on a plane where it almost landed, but I had to go back up? One time. One, yeah. one time. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel good, right? Yeah. It's very nervous and very uncomfortable. This is what where we are. Like the plane is trying to land, but when people are not doing the right thing, that plane's got to take back up again. And yeah. this is where we are. So I, listen, I'll be positive and hope that more of the population gets it. We need them to get it, by the way, because you know we need at least 70, 80% for a reasonable chance at herd immunity. Otherwise, the variant are going, the variants are going to keep coming, the mutation is going to keep happening, and sooner or later, they're going to be like, guys, these vaccines do not work against variant BY123, and now we got to revaccinate. So, yeah. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that, man. Uh, the other thing I just want to pick your brain about, and, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, it's a very, it's sort of a controversial topic, although it shouldn't be one. You know, something I've been very vocal about on my social media is just how broken our healthcare system is. You know, um, how, you know, a lot of folks, for a lot of folks don't have insurance one folks that have insurance a great bulk of them are underinsured because they're they have a huge deductible like i know for my staff in my office there's very limited plan they can get and the plans are so expensive and they also have like a ten thousand dollar deductible there's it's almost like the insurance companies are discouraging folks from seeking health care um and it's and it's it's a mess and you know every four years there's like, okay, well, this is what we're gonna do for healthcare. This is the changes that we're gonna make. But as a doctor, practicing physician, I was, and I was, I was practicing during the entire pandemic. Um, I just see it get worse from year to year. My patients have less and less coverage and they have more and more out-of-pocket expense. And, you know, a lot of the blame will falls, wrongly falls on the doctors. It's the insurance companies that are really to blame because they're the ones who set these policies and they're in the pockets of our legislators. And it's this never ending cycle that basically perpetuates itself when there is healthcare reform on the table, the people that are brought in to, you know, 
to affect that reform are health insurance companies. You know, so they're like, hey, okay, let's expand how much money you guys are getting from the government. Ends up, you know, obviously the filling the pockets of, of the insurance companies and leaves doctors and patients kind of on the side. Um, and it's, it's becoming increasingly frustrating, you know, just as a practice physician, you know, like I'm there seeing patients, they're pissed because they're not getting coverage. I have, I pay 3,600 bucks or 3,300 bucks or something like that a month for my family's health insurance. And I have a $10,000 deductible, you know, like it's, that's, you know, it's, it's just a crazy broken system. Just, you know, and you don't have to, you know, just, I'm just curious what your thoughts in general are. The healthcare paradigm that we currently exist under is broken and it needs to be demolished and rebuilt that's the only real way the business of tinkering and making slight modifications well it's like when you fix this part then this part breaks when you fix this part that part breaks and so you're in constant repair mode and it's, it's like roadways, you know, and while they make us all upset when they shut down a major artery because they have construction, but the idea is let's just get it done. We all suffer together for a period of time so that when it opens back up, we all benefit together. Same thing with the healthcare system. This paradigm is anachronistic. It is inefficient. It is un, in, uh, unequal um, and it's illogical and it needs to be demolished. The whole system the relationship with insurance companies and hospitals and healthcare providers and patients, the whole thing is not working. In fact, I think one of the biggest issues is the way that we look at healthcare is the problem. We should look at healthcare as a human right rather than looking at it as a privilege. And when you look at it as a right that everyone should have good quality healthcare because it is humane it is what is going to help people live less, a more a quality of life and live longer. This, every human being should have a chance to live as long as possible and to live as well as possible, well-meaning health well as possible. That We all should agree that that is the case. I mean, why don't I want you to live well? You living well doesn't hurt me living well, right? You being healthy doesn't hurt me. So we all should want each, and in fact, that the healthier we all are, the happier we are, the more productive we are, all, the, the longer we live, the more contributing we can be to a greater earth to, for those generations behind us. It's the whole paradigm is wrong and our viewpoint of healthcare is wrong. And it's gotten so co-opted by financial interest. You know, I thought that the primary purpose of healthcare was to help people, to, to give people quality of life. Instead, the primary now is, how do we make it work financially, right? Yep. How does the budget work? How do, it's, it's all kinds of stuff. And to be very honest with you, when you look at paying a $10,000 deductible and you're paying over $3,000 a month, first of all, paying over $3,000 a month is outrageous. It's outrageous. I mean, you are very successful, fortunately, but look at the average person who is making forty dollars to $50,000 a year. It's, they can't do it. How do you do it? So you got to make choices now, right? So now it's like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take my kid, you know, to the hospital this time because, or I won't go because. And now all of a sudden, you have the disparities increasing because the haves can go as much as they want, the have-nots cannot go. This is a major problem, 
And I think honestly and truly, and, and I, I'm a very optimistic person, but I think the only way to solve this problem is completely decimate the uh, system and start all over. And I feel the same way about taxes. Mm -hmm. I think that the tax system is completely, completely broken. And you have to start all over with the whole IRS and all that. We have to figure out a new way. These things have been around for hundreds of years and they just don't work now. They just don't yeah. work. I mean, that's the way it is. I'm with you, man. You know, interesting, just uh, to, to some of the points that you raised. United Healthcare made $6.6 .6 billion in profit during the second quarter of 2020. So think about that. That's April, May, and June of 2020, the height of the worst pandemic in over 100 years. And the health insurance company is its most profitable because no one's going to the doctor and no one's going to the hospital. Wow. It's crazy, wow. man, right? It's and, a broken and, system, man. It's a broken system. And I think that, you know, people have to have courage. Yeah. Uh, you got to elect leaders who have courage, who are not afraid um, to be um, disruptors um, and, and to be uh, agents of change. That, that's what we need. And right now we're just having the same old, same old. And like you said, yeah. people are in each other's pockets and interest and the interest that should be the primary interest, which is the patient and everyone's well-being is low down on the list. You're right on, man. But one thing we all can do is we can all seize control of our own health. <laughs> That's and, right. And one of the ways that we can do that is by, you know, dropping the fat off our bodies, moving, eating healthy, and having a strategy, you know, to that's sustainable to live a healthy life. And, you know, Dr. Ian Smith has once again, uh, God, it's supposed to be your 12th book about fitness or, or weight loss or dialing in your nutrition. But, um, you know, I think this is a, this is a must read really for anyone who has failed a diet, who's frustrated or anyone who's just new to the game and wants like a way to just get in and do something that's very effective. And that's just great for them as you know, their bodies, their mind, and, uh, just something that they can really do and very efficiently. It is. And I appreciate you having me on to talk about it. And, uh, I'm encouraged by the results we're seeing early with people and once again, just to say, hey, come to our Facebook group, Fast Burn Challenge, you can join it. Uh, it's a, over 10,000 people in it now, probably more by the time you get there. Uh, and on Instagram at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. I just like you, I just try to empower people and better their lives. And I just do whatever I can. I, I'm, I'm not the most powerful person or the most well-known person, but whatever I have, my tools, um, I just try to help people. Thank you, my man. Uh, I just can't thank you enough for man spending your afternoon with us for a little bit of your afternoon here. I always love chatting, chatting with you, man. It's always fun. Thanks for having me back. All right, brother. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill podcast. The corresponding video can be found on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook. Let's get it.